Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, even when it is difficult. And God, we know that you have given your words to us, uh, not to sell us something, but to declare your truth, to reveal uh, your nature, your goodness, as we just sang about, your faithfulness that you have made us your children uh, through faith in Christ and his work on the cross and burial and resurrection. Thank you, God, for bridging the chasm that stands between you and us because of our sin, but yet through faith we're received into your family and into relationship with you. God, your grace is incredible. We could sing about it all night. We thank you for this space to sing and to pray, to come to your table and to hear from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, sometimes uh, what's happening on the inside is not apparent on the outside. For instance, this thing. What, sometimes what's happening on the inside is not apparent on the outside. Do you guys know what I mean? Anyone here have a two-year-plus-old iPhone? Do you know what happens? There's a secret kill switch that Apple flips. Um, some, some people, I don't know if the same is true for you. You just make my text messages green. So I don't like that. But if you have an iPhone, or maybe Samsung is, is the same as well, after like two years, I have an eight, uh, iPhone 8, after about two years, it just decides to start breaking down. You know, it just says, today I don't want to connect to the internet. I don't want to send a text message and I don't want to receive one. I don't want email to work. I just want to freeze. I, like the, the iPhone just starts doing things and it makes no sense to me. All of a sudden I got 100% battery, two seconds later, 46%. Like how does this happen? Everything was fine a month ago. After two years, it starts to fall apart. But if you looked at my phone, you know, I got the OtterBox case with the big bezel and like I don't play any games here. This is like dad life. You know what I mean? Like we don't mess around. So I got this case, it's all scratched up, but the phone looks great. On the outside, no cracks in the screen, no blemishes. The phone looks wonderful on the outside, but inside of the phone, something is taking place. I don't know what it is, but it's breaking down. It's falling apart. And I think this is how depression feels to a lot of people. On the outside, you may look like you have everything together, or you have a lot of good things in your life. You have a good job, maybe you have a good relationship or good friends, a good community, you have a nice place to live, you have food at your table, you can pay your bills, you're slowly paying off your debt, whatever it may be, but inside, feels like you're breaking down. Feels like things are falling apart. And people that look at you don't see that. All they see what's on the outside. And if you were to share that you're not really doing okay and you don't feel great and there are days that you wake up where you feel heaviness and darkness and you don't want to get out of bed and depression is a mainstay and a reality in your life, if you were to share that, you're fearful that people would judge you because they'd look at your life and be like, hey, you, you have a lot of good things. You have a good relationship, good friends, good job. You have a car or a scooter. I don't know. But inside, you don't know why, but things are breaking down. Tonight, we're in episode three of our series entitled Soul Care. And as you can tell, we're looking at the topic of depression. I'm at the very beginning, state what my prayer is for tonight's talk. And that is, is that you would see that depression 
doesn't define you. It's not your identity. It's not an absolute in your life, and it's not who you are, though it may feel like that because of what's taking place inside. Now, there are varying degrees of depression. Some of us face depression, and it's consistent and persistent. It's like a gear locked in our brains that we cannot shift out of, and no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, no matter how many positive thoughts we think, it does not help. It's consistent and persistent. And then some of us, depression is situational or seasonal, and it's more like a wheel that rotates in and out of our life at different times and different seasons, depending on certain circumstances. And we feel that as well. To varying degrees, some of us it's really intense and really dark and really difficult, and some of us it's at different moments and different times. But my prayer is that regardless of to what degree you struggle with depression or you've been facing depression or have faced depression in your life or a concern that you may eventually struggle with depression is that you would see that it does not define you and it's not your identity. It's not an absolute. And for our talk, we're looking at Psalm 88 as Tiffany read, and this is a very peculiar psalm. The reason is it's, it's only like one other psalm in the entire book of Psalms. All of the psalms contain an element of hope. This one has no hope. Some of you are like, I invited my friends tonight. Um, I told them, you got to come to this church. There's great energy and great people. You're going to walk away feeling great for your week. And now all of a sudden, the pastor said, there's no hope. Listen, there is no hope in this passage. Psalm 39 is the only other psalm that has no hope. It's a prayer. It's unique in that sense because psalms of lament and prayers of lament typically end with something positive, something encouraging. God, you are with me and you are faithful. I feel like this, but I know that you're by my side. I know that you're going to be victorious. You're my refuge. You're my strength. This psalm has none of that. Its theme is darkness. In fact, the very last line of this prayer is, my only friend is darkness. That's the Hebrew translation of the last line. My only friend is darkness. But listen, this prayer is God's mercy to us and his grace to us. And we're going to see that tonight. So don't feel like the sermon is hopeless, okay? Just because there's no hope in Psalm 88. Now this passage is interesting because it begins with this positive feeling at least opening. Verses 1 and 2 It says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to hear my cry. So the very beginning of the passage, this man who is praying, he says, God, you're the God of my salvation. So this person believes in faith in God. He has trust in God. He says, God, you're the God of my salvation. I need you to listen to me. I'm asking you to incline your ear to my prayer. I'm coming before you day and night. I've been praying constantly, and I I really want you to hear what I'm about to say. 
You see, as this prayer unfolds, you may ask yourself, why is this in the Bible? If it's a prayer with no hope and nothing encouraging and nothing positive, why is it in the Bible? I thought the Bible was about joy and faithfulness and encouragement and God's goodness and his provision. Now, it is about those things, but the Bible is also about life. And life, at times, is dark. And he is coming before God and he's saying, God, you're the God of my salvation. I have faith in you, but I also understand that faith does not remove all of my problems. Faith has not removed my depression and I'm asking you to hear my prayer. I'm asking you to listen because I feel, God, like you have not been listening. I've been praying day and night. It is so important to see at the very beginning that small detail that the person praying here is a believer in God. Because sometimes you can feel like you are less than because you struggle with depression or you're facing depression. As if you should not be struggling with depression because you're a Christian. That could not be farther from the truth. This person struggles with deep depression and they have faith and trust in God as the God of their salvation and they're praying to God day and night to listen to their prayer. See, it is so important to see that just because you have faith in Jesus and you believe in God and God is the God of your salvation, that does not mean that you will not face depression. See, one of the problems with depression is that it isolates us away from everybody else and it feeds us lies and we give in to the stigma of depression. There is a stigma with depression. Some of you here take medication for depression and you don't want anyone to know. You feel shame about it, but you shouldn't. You should not feel shame about it. Some of you are going to a counselor or to a therapist and you don't want anyone to know or you feel like you need to go but you're afraid to ask because you're afraid of what people will think because they'll look at your life and say, well, look at all the good things in your life. Why do you need a counselor or a therapist? If you go to a counselor or a therapist or you need to go to a counselor or a therapist, you should not feel shame about that. In fact, all of us need to go to counselors and therapists more often. And many of us here, if not most of us, When we are in difficult seasons in our life, we feel uncomfortable and uneasy telling even trusted friends and mentors that we're not okay. We have a hard time saying to people, even people we know love us, to admit, hey, I'm not really doing okay right now. Like, I'm feeling really dark and really heavy, and I'm, I'm, I don't know, it was depression, I don't know what it is, but I'm feeling not okay. You see, we, we shouldn't feel that way. We shouldn't associate this stigma with darkness and with heaviness and with depression. We don't do that with physical illness, right? Physical illness, we don't feel shame about getting a cold and congestion, right? Some of us wake up in the morning and we're like, I think I'm sick. I should probably call into work. Hey, uh, I think I'm sick. Can you imagine if you called up to work and you said, hey, I need a a sick day, I'm feeling mentally ill. They, what? You mean mentally ill? You see, we, we, we treat physical illness and mental illness differently. We treat physical illness with, with no shame and no judgment. You're, you're sick. I mean, you got a cold. Nothing you can do about that. But if you're struggling with mental illness, 
depression, we treat that differently. We treat that as something that you can just get over and you should just fix yourself and you should just be happy and you should just be positive. And this is so wrong. There's this stigma attached because we have this different level between physical illness and mental illness. Listen, you do not choose your physical illness. You don't wake up and say, hey, you know what? I really want to get sick. So I'm just going to decide today that I'm going to have a cold and get the flu. And then all of a sudden you just have the flu. That's not how it works. You don't choose your physical illness. It chooses you. And you do not choose your mental illness. It chooses you. You don't choose it. Nobody says, hey, I just really want to be depressed. It chooses you. Same way as physical illness. And listen, I I have to confess on behalf of the church and some church leaders and some people maybe on behalf of the church have spoken to you if you've ever admitted that you're not doing okay and that you're struggling with depression and maybe you've heard things like this. I'm so sorry. You just need to pray more. You need to have more faith. You need to trust God more. You need to read the Bible more. You need to stand firm on the promises of God. You need to count your blessings. You shouldn't be depressed. You're a Christian. If you heard that before, I'm sorry. Because you're probably wanting to say to them, oh, it's that easy, huh? Okay, well, okay. So just pray more. Just have more faith. It's just that simple, and I'll get over my depression. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. And if you've heard that before, I'm sorry, because that's not the heart of God towards you with your depression and with your darkness and with those days that you're not okay. So we need to move away from the stigma of depression because if you struggle with depression, regardless of the degree to which you struggle with it, you did not choose it. It chose you. It does not mean that you're mentally broken or weak, and it does not mean that you're spiritually immature. We we need to just lay the groundwork right there. We have a man here who's praying to God, and he says, God, you're the God of my salvation. You are my God. I trust in you, but I feel like you're not listening to me. I feel alone, I feel abandoned, I feel dark, I feel depressed, and I need you to listen to me. I've been praying day and night, God. Some of you resonate with that. He says this, next, in verses 10 and 11. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared from the grave? He comes to God next with this sarcastic, contentious tone. He like doubles down and he says, hey God, I want to do great things for you, but I feel like I'm going to die and death seems imminent in my life. See, what we know about this man, because he's written other Psalms and has other prayers as well, is that in his life, there was a perception that death was imminent. Whether or not it was physically imminent or whether or not he felt that way, this was his reality. He felt like death was on the horizon for him. And it seems as if his friends are leaving him. So he has circumstances in his life that are really difficult, and he feels alone. He feels like friends are leaving him. He feels like God is not listening to him. And he says to God, I want to do great things for you, God, but how can I do great things for you if I'm going to die? Can you work wonders with the dead? I'm going to be dead if you don't listen to me. And this is sarcastic rhetorical question that he speaks to God. You know, life is full of pain at times. 
There's a great quote by the great art Princess Bride. Have we got any Princess Bride fans in the room? Okay, there. Just making sure you guys were awake here. There's a great quote that says this. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Life is pain. This man feels that life is pain. He's like, God, I'm praying to you. You're the God of my salvation, but you're not listening. And um, I feel like I'm going to die. And how are you going to do anything in my life if you don't listen and if you don't bring victory and healing to me? If I'm dead. He comes with this sarcastic, rhetorical question. He brings it before God. As I said, if you are struggling with depression, it is not that you're less than. And there are times that you may be praying and talking to God and feel just like this. And you feel as if like, no one is like me. I don't know if any other Christians struggle with this the way that I do. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Some of the greatest men and women of faith struggled with deep depression. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century pastor and scholar who's written books that have influenced and continue to influence the church today, struggled deeply with depression. In fact, if you texted in plug, there's a link to uh, his book, a book that speaks of his sorrows. It's called Spurgeon's Sorrows. It's about his depression and how he battled and walked through that. How many of you here have heard of Martin Luther? the founder and initiator of the Reformation, nailed the 95 Theses on the door in Wittenberg and started this Reformation of the gospel and the church struggled deeply with depression. And then the church has been mourning the past two weeks a pastor in California named Jared Wilson, a pastor of a large church who very publicly struggled with mental illness, depression, anxiety, among other things. Was an advocate to remove the stigma from depression and encourage people to speak up and to get help and to, to not feel shame. And he lost the battle to depression two weeks ago and took his life. He has this quote, and I want you to hear this. It's not on the screen, but I just want you to receive it. He says, loving Jesus doesn't always cure your depression. But that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't offer us companionship and comfort. He always does that. Loving Jesus doesn't always remove your depression, but Jesus always offers companionship and comfort. And Jared Wilson is experiencing that right now perfectly in relationship and union with his Savior, Christ. But he speaks out against this to remove the stigma and to help you know that you're not less than because you struggle with depression. You, I can identify with the prayer here in Psalm 88. You can identify with Jared Wilson, with Martin Luther, with Charles Spurgeon. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have struggles. He didn't quantify it. He didn't say, these struggles, but not these struggles. No, in this world you will have struggles, but take heart for I've overcome the world. You are going to struggle. Life is pain. And anyone who tries to tell you differently is trying to sell you something. And the Bible is not trying to sell you something. It's trying to share truth with you and be honest about life. And this person here is praying and saying, God, I don't feel like you're listening. I don't feel like you care. And I'm going to even speak to you in this almost blasphemous, blasphemous way where I'm being sarcastic and saying, hey, are you going to do anything because I'm going to die? How are you going to use me? And then he gets even more dramatic. And he says in verse 18, I've been afflicted and close to death from my youth. I've been like this forever, God. 
I cannot remember a time when I didn't struggle like this, when I didn't feel like this. And where have you been? And then he ends by saying, my companions have become darkness. My only friend is darkness. Why, again, is this in the Bible? It's no hope. It's dark. It's honest. It's real. But see, that's why it's here. It's God's mercy to us. There are times, maybe, where you have felt this way. Maybe you currently feel this way. Or you've prayed this way to God. Or you've wanted to pray this way to God, but you didn't. You see, God is understanding and patient with us in our darkness and our depression. There's a quote by Derek Kidner. He's a scholar, and he wrote about this passage. And I was reading this this week, and I was like, that's perfect. He says, the very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to his, God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. You see, God knows how we speak when we're desperate. When we're struggling with depression, when we feel dark, when we feel like we're not okay, he knows how we speak and he empathizes with us in our weakness. Jesus tells us you're gonna have struggles. Life has pain. And God is understanding of our darkness and he is patient with our depression. And you may feel like, "Ah, it's really hard to receive that. But listen, God is your God, not because you fixed yourself and you got yourself better and you just worked on your morality and then there God accepted you. No, God chose to love you despite your weakness. Whether that is depression or anxiety or whatever pain and struggle you're facing, God chose to love you, not because you fixed yourself, but because he chose to love you. And he knows how you feel and what you want to say when you're desperate. And he's patient and understanding with you. There's a man in the Old Testament. His name is Elijah. He's a prophet. And he is a great example of this. Elijah is a man that God used to do incredible things. He was up on Mount Carmel. There were all these priests that were worshiping this false god Baal and And he says, hey, listen, let's see whose God is more powerful and and stronger. So they try to do this whole show, and they fail. And he says, watch this. And he he builds the altar, and he pours water over it, and he steps back. He doesn't even need a, a match, and he calls down fire, and God brings fire from the altar and reveals his glory and his power and his triumph over every other false God. And that's just one story of many that God used Elijah to declare his glory and his power to many. But Elijah, despite all of that, living a life that many of us would feel like, wow, that would be amazing to feel like I was doing something that was really affecting people and making a huge difference and God was using me and I was witnessing that. Elijah felt abandoned by God. And he felt like everything he had done was in vain. Like, how? Everything on the outside looks great, but inside, Elijah didn't feel that way. At one point, he sits down under a tree, and he says to God, I feel like my entire life and everything I've done has been in vain. You're like, what? What are you talking about? That's how he felt. And he says, God, I want you to take my life away. I want you to remove my life from me. He's thinking of 
harming himself as he lays down next to the tree. Struggling with darkness and depression, Elijah, the prophet of God, who God used to do incredible things, feels like everything he's done was worthless and wants his life to be taken from him. So as most of us know, depression is the leading cause of suicide. And suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem, but we, we think in the midst of our depression, when we get really dark, that it is not a temporary problem, it is a permanent problem. Elijah resonates with this. He looks at his life and he feels like this isn't a temporary problem, it's a permanent problem. And he even speaks to God and says, God, I, I can't go on anymore. Some of you resonate with that and I'm not, I'm not oblivious to that. Some of you have struggled with that before. Maybe currently struggle with that. And I want you to know something. This church is here for you. There is no shame in your depression, there is no shame in your struggle. No matter how deep and dark it gets, there is no judgment. I want you to know that this church is open and ready to receive and to care for you and to listen to you and to cry with you. Myself, Pastor Tommy, our leaders, friends in community groups, we want to be a church that cares for real life issues. Listen, just paint over. I'm trying to sell you something. I invite you into God's good news to his church, to his family. But I also want to share something maybe you've never seen shared in church before, which is I want to share the National Suicide Hotline. You may not want to write it down right now. I understand it's in the Bible notes. You can also Google it. But I think it's really important to share that because these are trained professionals that are available 24-7 if you ever have struggle of thoughts of harming yourself that you can call and people can be there for you to listen to you, to walk with you. You can speak up and you can share. And don't don't feel shame to call. Don't feel shame to reach out. You see, Elijah, even though he's at this place where he feels like his life has been worthless and he sees no way forward and he feels hopeless, he speaks up and he speaks up to God. So you can speak up through this hotline, you can speak up here in the church and you can speak up to God and God is understanding and he is patient with you. He walks with you and that's what we see in Elijah's life. As he speaks up to God, he falls asleep And God does not come to Elijah and say, hey, Elijah, what is your problem? Like, look at all the things I've done, all the blessings, all the ways that I've used you. Like, just, hey, be happy. God never does that. He comes to Elijah while he's sleeping, and he sends an angel. And the angel wakes up Elijah and says four simple words. Get up and eat. Some hot food right next to him. He says, just get up and eat. And Elijah gets up and he eats and he goes back to sleep. It's one of the things that happens with depression, right? You just want to stay in your room. You want to stay in bed. You want to close the blinds. You have no motivation. You don't want to do anything. But sometimes God comes to you with these gentle reminders. Hey, get up and eat. Get up and take a shower. Get up and make coffee. And you may get up and take a shower and you're like, I'm going back to bed, you know? But then, after Elijah gets up and eats, he goes back to sleep. And God sends the angel a second time. You know what the angel says? He doesn't say, I told you to get up and eat. Why'd you go back to bed? What's your problem? The angel comes to Elijah the second time and says, can you guess? Get up and eat. Same thing. And then he says, the journey is too difficult for you. 
Elijah gets up the second time and he eats and he continues his journey. You see, sometimes God comes to us, the Holy Spirit comes to us when we're struggling with depression, when we're feeling dark, when we have no motivation, when we feel everything is hopeless and we just want to close away the world and God gently reminds us, just take a small step, just get up and eat, take a shower, make coffee, walk outside. Small, gentle reminders. Why does God do that? Why does the Holy Spirit prompt these gentle reminders? Not to say, hey, here's just your quick fix solution to your depression is just to do these small steps. No, God gives you these gentle reminders because he wants you to know that he's with you. He's with you in your depression. He understands it and he's patient. You see, Elijah gets up the second time and he eats and he continues the journey, but he's still struggling with depression. He still feels dark. And he goes to this cave and God says, I'm gonna speak to you. And Elijah is sitting there and he's waiting There's wind that comes rushing by outside of the cave, but God's not in the wind. There's an earthquake, but God isn't in the earthquake. There's a fire flying up from the ground, but God's not in the fire. God is in in none of the things that are outside the cave away from Elijah. And as Elijah is staying there in the cave, he hears a whisper. You know, what's interesting about whispers is that you can only hear them if you're right next to the person. Why does God whisper to Elijah? Because he wants him to know, hey, I'm right here next to you. You thought I was going to be out there in the wind and the earthquake and the fire. I'm right here. Right here next to you. I give these gentle reminders at times just to affirm to you that I'm right next to you. I hope that you know that. Sometimes you can feel like God is out there. He's way far away. He's not concerned with you. And God wants to remind you, even in your depression, and most notably in your depression, that he is right there next to you, whispering, speaking with you, walking alongside of you. You see, the man here in Psalm 88 didn't feel that. He knew that God was the God of his salvation, but he thought God was way far away and he wasn't listening to him. That he was removed. But as God is understanding and patient, he wants to remind him that he's with him. You see, this man that wrote this psalm, Psalm 88, his name is Haman, and he wrote many other psalms. And what's interesting about his life is he feels his life is hopeless and God isn't gonna use him for anything great because darkness is all around him and death is imminent in his life and his only friend is darkness. Not you, God, you're not my friend, it's just darkness. And you're not listening to me. You know what God did in Haman's life? He used him in the midst of his darkness, in the midst of his depression, to create some of the greatest art of all time. Every single literary scholar, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, will look at the book of Psalms and say, this is one of the greatest pieces of art ever made. Haman did not understand how God could use him. And where were you, God? Where are you? Why are you so distant? Why aren't you listening? Don't you see that I want to do great things for you, but I feel like death is all around me and my only friend is darkness. And yet God was right next to him the entire time. And we see that as he confirms that in other prayers in the book of Psalms, that God's nearness and his presence and his faithfulness was true in his life, but there are times when he did not feel that, but it didn't mean it wasn't true. You see, God was with him, and he used his darkness for greatness. He actually used all of that to produce something great, while now Haman is one of the greatest literary artists of all time, but he didn't feel like it. 
And I tell you that because I want you to know that your depression is not your identity. It's not your identity. It is not an absolute. It is temporary. And God, in fact, will use your darkest times and your biggest struggles for greatness, for his glory, because he's with you and he understands your darkness. He's patient with you in your depression and he's whispering these gentle reminders that you know that he's right there. He's walking with you. He's listening to you. He's building things in your life that you cannot see. He is in fact working all things for good even though at times we do not feel it and we don't see it and we don't even want to hear it. We want to pray prayers like Psalm 88. God, where are you? You're not my friend. But God is. Your only friend is not darkness. You have a friend in Christ. There's a verse here, verse 11, that just really stuck out. It says this. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Let me read that again. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? See, this is Haman's sarcastic rhetorical question. Why don't we answer that? Is your steadfast love, God, declared in the grave? Yeah, it is. You see, Christ gave his life and was placed in the grave. But his steadfast love is declared there because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He came forth victorious, resurrected. He rose from that grave. And that grave declares God's steadfast love. And so when you are in the grave, when you're facing darkness, when you feel alone, when you feel like God isn't listening to you, Actually, God can whisper his steadfast love to you in that place because that is what Jesus modeled and showed us. He guaranteed and promised you that though you may not rise from your depression in this moment, right this second, or next week or next month, because in this world you will have struggles, that you will rise. Because for all of us that trust and faith in Jesus Christ, God's steadfast love was declared in the grave and Jesus didn't stay in the grave and so we're not gonna stay in the grave. And you're not going to stay in the grave, no matter what you're facing right now. There's a, a great hymn that's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, can I ask you, can you guys read this with me? Can we do that? It's going to be on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer everything. Carry everything to God in prayer. It's a privilege because God is understanding of your darkness. He is patient with your depression and he is near you. He is with you, giving you gentle reminders, letting you know that he is near and that though you feel like you're in the grave, you're going to rise. It's God's promise to you. And so you can do what Haman did. Though Haman was sarcastic and he was cutting and almost blasphemous in his prayer to God, he was praying. He said, God, I I don't feel like you've been listening since I was a kid and yet I'm gonna continue to pray to you. I'm gonna bring it to you, God. Would we be people that bring everything to God in prayer knowing that he can take it and he's promised resurrection power for every grave that we face, every darkness that we walk through. He is with us and he will pull us out as we walk with him. Let's pray. God, we are grateful 
for your grace to us. That you are with us in the grave. That you love us and your steadfast love is declared in our darkness. You are understanding and you are patient. Would we find our identity, God, in you? Would we know that we have a friend in you and we find satisfaction, God, in you and not in our pain, but in your resurrection power? It's in Jesus' name, amen.